Good afternoon from USC's Annenberg Media Center and welcome to From Where We Are from Annenberg Radio News. For Tuesday, September 26, 2017, I'm Charlotte Kim. First, a news update with Sam Newman. A hit-and-run suspect is under arrest after barricading himself inside USC's Annenberg building earlier today. DPS and the California Highway Patrol were on the scene and blocked students and staff from entering the building. Laura Buzari has the story. USC students arrived on campus just before 7.30 this morning to police cars, helicopters, and a hit-and-run suspect apparently fleeing arrest. CHP says the suspect evaded the officer and collided with another car at Jefferson and Hoover. He then ran onto the USC campus and into the ASC building. Students and staff inside the building were forced to evacuate. Control okay. stand for you. Control area is clear. But it turns out it wasn't all clear. DPS Captain Carlisle says they believe the suspect was hiding in an outside stairwell of the Annenberg building. Apparently was seen jumping off a balcony, which is quite a drop, and hit the ground running, uh, but ultimately was captured uh, near the Coliseum in the parking structure by the Rose Garden in Expo Park. USC professor Jen De La Fuente was walking to her building when she saw the suspect. I was between Taper and Norris and just kind of minding my own business and wa walking from the, the shuttle stop when suddenly I saw a guy running toward me. You know, he was running in that direction. And I just, you know, I see people run on campus all the time. But I was like, okay, this guy's not dressed like he's running for athletic purposes. Campus was back to normal by 11. For Annenberg Media, I'm Laura Buzzetti. The Medical Board of California has revoked former USC Medical School Dean Carmen Pugliofito's medical license. Pugliofito has been the subject of an internal USC investigation surrounding his use of drugs during his tenure at the university. The Medical Board will ultimately decide whether to revoke his license permanently or reinstate it with restrictions. Equifax CEO Richard Smith stepped down this morning after a data breach exposed the personal information of more than 140 million people this month. Also today, the city of San Francisco filed a lawsuit against the credit reporting company, making it the first city to sue Equifax. The lawsuit says the company failed to implement reasonable security measures to prevent the huge data breach. The city also says Equifax did not warn users of the leak in a timely manner. Video game voice actors have reached a tentative agreement with video game companies that will end their year-long strike. Elliot Yang reports. The agreement is between 11 video game companies and the negotiating committee of SAG-AFTRA, the union that represents video game voice actors. The agreement addresses secondary compensation, essentially royalties, for the actors. It also calls for greater transparency, giving actors information before they accept a role. This includes the game's ties to existing intellectual property, the use of profanity or racial slurs in the script, and any sexual or violent content. It also includes a bonus structure, different from the original proposal, that will compensate actors based on how many studio sessions they work on for the game. The proposal still requires approval from the SAG-AFTRA Board of Directors, which is due to meet next month. However, in the meantime, SAG-AFTRA has notified its members that they may resume work for all of the originally struck companies, effective immediately. For Annenberg Media, I'm Elliot Yang.
Tonight, temperatures will settle in the mid-60s with clear skies and a light breeze. Tomorrow, temperatures will remain unseasonably warm with a high of 85. Make sure to take advantage of the above-average temperatures this week with a trip to the beach, a hike in the mountains, or a nice jog around the block. Protesters blocked traffic in downtown Los Angeles today, urging the Board of Supervisors not to spend money on the construction of a new jail. The Justice LA Coalition is demanding a reduction in the number of people being held in county jails and a moratorium on the construction of new facilities. LA County plans to build a new jail and treatment facility in downtown LA that would replace the Men's Central Jail. It also has plans for a women's jail to be built in Lancaster. Twitter is making news today, and not for another round of presidential tweets. Starting today, users will be able to write 280 characters per tweet, doubling its classic 140-character limit. The company says it wants to eliminate the constraints that prevent users from tweeting more frequently. It's five minutes after the hour. I'm Sam Newman. Thanks, Sam. Coming up on From Where We Are, we'll explore student protests at different college universities. It's been nearly one week since Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico, leaving many residents still without ample food, drinking water, and power. Reporter Natalie Kamenkun spoke to one USC student about the challenges of being so far from home during his Puerto Rico's time of crisis. Earlier this month, Hurricanes Irma and Maria pounded Puerto Rico within two weeks of each other. The storms have left the entire island without power for an estimated four to six months, making it difficult for residents to contact their family and friends, including students at USC. Hector Reyes, a junior math and economics major, was distraught in the days following September 20th. I felt powerless. I mean, I felt worthless. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I was supposed to go to class. I didn't know if I was supposed to study. I didn't know. I mean, I was just sitting, looking at my phone, waiting for my mom to call or something like that. When Mother Nature takes its course, the result is sometimes unimaginable. That's how you could describe the aftermath of Hurricanes Irma and Maria as they hit the island of Puerto Rico earlier this month. Reyes heard from his mom a few days ago, and she described the surrounding scenes to him. She told me it's like a movie. You know, the movies that you see, uh, that they, they play disasters and things like that. It's nothing that she's never seen something like that. Unfortunately for Reyes, there's one family member he's still waiting to hear from. I haven't uh, spoke to my brother at all. Uh, I don't know how he's doing. I hope he's doing well. USC has one of the highest international student populations of any university in the U.S., and Reyes is one of the many Puerto Rican students on campus. He says that the unity of the communities within Puerto Rico is what keeps him hopeful. What you can see, what you can take out of this bad a moment, you can see that people are united and people are doing something for the country, even the people inside the country and even the people outside the country. In the middle of this devastation, Reyes has one message for his family and friends back home. <laughs> I love them. I love them a lot, and they know it. I've called them thousands of times we've just been on the phone for hours and it makes you realize that you just only live once so I love them a lot and uh, yeah as it turns out the calm after the storm is a lesson of unity for USC Annenberg Media I'm Natalie Kelmenkun. <laughs>
USC assistant basketball coach Tony Bland is on an administrative leave after being charged in a federal bribery case. As Don Yanye reports, Bland is among 10 people arrested in a fraud and corruption case in the National Collegiate Athletic Association, or NCAA. A dark underbelly of college basketball has been exposed with this investigation, which began in 2015. Four assistant coaches, including USC's Tony Bland, are in federal custody. The other schools are the University of Arizona, Auburn, and Oklahoma State. They are accused of taking bribes from sports agents and companies, bribes ranging from thirteen dollars to $100,000. Jun Kim, the acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, held a news conference earlier today. These four coaches not only breached their obligations, to their schools, violated NCAA rules, and betrayed the trust of their players, they also committed serious federal crimes. The other suspects arrested in the case include managers, financial advisors, and a representative of Adidas. Bland was arrested in Tampa, Florida. He's charged with accepting payments in exchange for directing college players to certain agents. U.S. Attorney Kim says Bland was hurt in a wiretap, saying that he could mold and deliver players. The defendant's alleged conduct not only sullied the spirit of amateur athletics, but it showed contempt for the thousands of players and coaches who follow the rules and play the game the right way. USC Athletic Director Lin Swan said in a statement that he was shocked to learn about the arrest. And he said, USC will cooperate fully with authorities. The university's vice president for athletic compliance, Mike Blanton, says USC has hired former FBI director Louis Free to help with an internal investigation. LA Times sports reporter Zach Halvand says there could be more charges coming. This particular scandal is so wide-reaching and involves so many schools already with probably more on the way that it could take a while to de detangle everything. My guess is that the NCAA is going to want to stay consistent with their punishment for the different schools involved. Bland appeared in court in Florida wearing handcuffs, but he did not enter a plea to the charges. He will appear in federal court in New York on October 10th. But in the meantime, the judge said Blend can travel to his home in Southern California. For Annenberg Media, I'm Dong Yao Ni. Now it's time for Ampersand. Ampersand. Ready. Oh. Covering Los Angeles arts and culture and everything in between. What would happen if you walked all 56 miles of Los Angeles River in two days? What would you see? Reporter Tom Carroll strapped on his walking shoes to find out. Last October, I set out to walk the whole L.A. River. My motive was simple. I had read a lot about the river but still felt confused by it. I thought if I could just see it, maybe it would make more sense. Los Angeles is big. The L.A. River is the spinal cord of the city. So I'm walking from Canoga Park to Long Beach. It's a really big city. I'll be walking probably for 22 hours in total 
and essentially just one end of the city to the, the other. The LA River starts at the western edge of the San Fernando Valley in Canoga Park, where Bell Creek and Arroyo Calabasas meet. Just leaving the headwaters, beautiful Sunday morning, maybe high 50s, low 60s, sun's just coming up. Three miles in, my backpack starts to feel heavier and heavier. Must be the bottles I'm carrying. What does it mean to walk next to a river? But you have to bring all your own water. Unlike explorers 200 years ago, if you walk along the LA River now, you can't drink it. If there's water in the river and it hasn't rained in the past few days, it's most likely a combination of treated sewage water and street water runoff. These are the contaminants that have been found in the river. Fecal bacteria, E. coli, lead, ammonia, pesticides, and trash. Nine miles in, I hit my first snag. I had been walking on a path next to the river, but now that path is blocked by the 405 freeway. As I search for a way forward, I can smell the chlorinated, earthy smell of treated sewage. Looking down from where I'm standing, I can see the source of the smell. The sewage treatment plant a half mile away is discharging a torrent of water into the river. So now there's lots more water and no path. What had been gently sloped containment walls are now vertical. I have one option. I take off the new Nikes that I wear when it's dry, and I lace up the old Nikes for walking in water. Well, as you might be able to hear, I'm now walking in the river. To make matters worse, based on satellite images I'd looked at when I was planning for this trip, I guessed I wouldn't be walking through water for more than 30 minutes or so. I was way off. I slopped through murky water for nearly three hours. Finally, I hit dry land. I'd covered 16 miles at that point, so I decided to break for lunch. The day wears on. Pretty bored. Not super bored, but a little monotonous. Luckily, there's a tennis club back there with hella tennis balls in the river itself. So, pick up a tennis ball and I've been bouncing it. By mid-afternoon, I switch back into my wet shoes once more and the 93 degree heat starts getting to me. My GPS tracker slowly counts the miles and I think I have five miles to go until the halfway point. Again, I'm wrong. A mileage sign for bicyclists tells me that I have 10 miles to go. What can I do but trudge on to where I'll spend the night? I've coordinated with a friend who lives at the halfway point in Frogtown, right off the LA River. I hope he doesn't want to go for a walk. Once there, I eat a pile of spaghetti and two slices of pizza. Nausea soon hits me and I nearly vomit. I fight it off, and by 9 p.m., I've passed out. Dawn breaks, and I'm walking by 6.30. 28 miles behind me, 28 miles in front of me. Still felt a little nauseated waking up this morning, but was able to drink some coffee and oatmeal. My legs are more recovered than I thought they would be. Beautiful clear skies, a few wispy cirrus clouds scattered about. Um, nice temperature. The next 12 hours float past me in a daze. Walk, 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 walk. Downtown Los Angeles, Vernon, Compton, Linwood, Long Beach. At this point, 
the concrete channel that is the LA River is as wide as a 20-lane freeway. I'm a tiny speck moving at three miles an hour. At 6 p.m., I reach Long Beach. My feet feel like bloated bags of raw chicken. Sitting down at the end of my journey, overlooking the Long Beach Harbor, I wonder what grand truths have revealed themselves to me. In my tired state, the only thing I keep thinking is Los Angeles is a big place if it takes you 24 hours to walk from one end to the other. Brandenburg Media, I'm Tom Carroll. Office Hours is a USC Annenberg Media podcast with a point of view. It's where we take one or two key issues and break them down, telling you what you need to know. In this week's episode, hosts Renny Svernovsky and Dan Toomey explore different views to the Trump administration's new Title IX policy. At the end of last week, the Department of Education withdrew a pretty integral part of government policy on sexual assault, a kind of unofficial piece of Title IX put in place by the Obama administration back in 2011. Betsy DeVos's DOE has been pretty against the policy, which they say deprives students of their rights and puts sexual assault policy enforcement into hands that don't know what to do with it and they do it wrong. President Obama's 2011 Dear Colleague letter has polarized college campuses. It was popular among students and activists who felt that their universities didn't do enough to support the victims of sexual assault and sexual violence, and a cause of indignation from those accused of violence uh, that's mostly men who have complained that their campus judicial processes have grown heavily biased in favor of female accusers. Yeah, the letter responded to growing accounts of colleges failing to take seriously students' complaints and leaving decisions to untrained employees. One of the more controversial parts of the letter was its demand that public universities allow minimal evidence, a preponderance of evidence rather than the higher standard of clear and convincing evidence, to decide whether a student was responsible for committing a sexual assault, at risk of losing government funding. So DeVos's new guidelines essentially roll back everything mandated by Dear Colleague, citing due process violations and general inequity as proof of the policy's ineffectiveness. So that's what was going on. The Trump administration, through its Department of Education, uh, essentially retracted that, took that Dear Colleague letter back. That's USC professor and practicing lawyer Lincoln Banlow, here to clarify the Trump administration's stance. And there's sort of a lot of outcry of, oh, the Trump administration doesn't care about rape or sexual assault. They want it to happen on campus. And uh, no, that's not true at all. What the Trump administration was doing was saying, we have this little thing in our Constitution. It's called due process. And it's in a criminal allegation, you are presumed to be innocent. And the burden is on the government to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, not by a preponderance of the evidence, which is just simply, oh, there's a little more evidence than not. Beyond a reasonable doubt means there's pretty overwhelming substantial evidence that can't really be seriously doubted that somebody engaged in this conduct. Now, with this in mind, DeVos's office is just restoring basic due process and rights guaranteed by the Fifth and Sixth Amendments. But for a lot of students like Kennedy Bingham, a senior at USC, that isn't a good enough reason to revert back to a system that discounted a lot of survivors' stories. I mean, I think what it's really saying is that it's less important for people of sexual assault to get um, justice. It's less important for them to get justice than it is to falsely accuse somebody. So it's, it's worse for an athlete to get falsely accused than it is to actually have someone who has been through, been a victim of sexual assault, get the justice that they deserve. The systems are flawed. They need 
work, but it doesn't seem like DeVos is about to put in that work. Her speeches have sounded more like an effort to bring us back to a time where it was assumed that accusations of rape were really attempts to get revenge. And according to a study at Stanford University, only about 2% of all rape and related sex charges are proven false. Before you go on about how high that percentage is, it's pretty much the same percentage as for any other felony. And keep in mind that only around 40% of rapes are even reported to the police. We don't know what that number is on college campuses, but can you imagine how low it'll get if victims once again feel like they're just not going to be believed? Yes, the existing system needs changing, but a repeal with no public vision for the future isn't real change. We weren't able to get in touch with Title IX at our school, USC, but right now it looks like, as a private university, we may not have to change too much. But that's not the reality for the majority of American college students. To comply with Title IX, public universities in most states will have to change their policies or lose crucial government funding. We have to assume that the Department of Education will figure something else out. For now, we have to hope whatever gets figured out actually has the majority of students' best interests at heart. This has been Renny Svernovsky and Dan Toomey. We'll see you again next week. Political protests have hit college universities in a frenzy. At UC Berkeley, conservative speaker Milo Yiannopoulos found himself the victim of a protest conducted by student organizers. Reporter Yana Pasolacci explores different reactions toward protests at a few California-based schools. Free speech protests cropped up at UC Berkeley over Milo Yiannopoulos' appearance at the school over the weekend. This is only the latest of a wave of protests over conservative speakers at Berkeley. Although USC has not recently hosted a controversial speaker, Annenberg Media wondered what the reaction would be should someone as incitatory as Yiannopoulos be invited to speak. USG President Austin Dunn says he doesn't foresee someone like Yiannopoulos coming into campus, but he would be concerned about protests if something like that were to happen. There is no speaker essentially that USG can't bring to campus, but I think where that decision is ultimately made is what it's up to the student's discretion, if that makes sense. When conservative political commentator Ben Shapiro spoke at USC two years ago, the event went off without a hitch. Two weeks ago at Berkeley, Shapiro was met with protests and police presence. I think it kind of is just relative to the circumstances of how it's presented. Well, Yiannopoulos has never spoken at USC, another controversial conservative figure has, in Coulter. In fact, she has spoken at the university twice, in 2007 and 2013. Both times sparked protests, but both times the event went on as planned. Cal State Fullerton's college Republicans plan to host Yiannopoulos at the end of October. A change.org petition asking Fullerton to block the speech has reached 5,000 signatures. Fullerton is about an hour from USC. Amanda McGuire, a college Republican at Fullerton, is taking steps to ensure a safe event. I, of course, have a lot of concerns. So having him come, the, the biggest issue um, and top priority for me is making sure that all guest speaker, the guests, the speakers, and attendees are safe. Um, and that begins with a huge police force and presence. Many have asked whether Berkeley's status as a public university affects their responsibility to uphold the First Amendment right of free speech. Free speech expert Michael Overing spoke to Anne Brigmini on the topic. All right, so what happens is this. The government funds the university, and because of that, you have to give the full panoply of rights that are available under the Constitution to the students who attend the university. According to Overing, private universities such as USC have the same responsibilities as public universities. 
is the more that a private institution looks like a public institution, that is to say that it provides essential services, it provides men and women's restrooms, it provides mail services, it has banking kiosks, it has restaurants and so on, the more the private institution looks like a traditional place where people congregate and come together, the more it owes an obligation to the students, in this case, uh, an opportunity to have a free speech location. This campus ensures that students have access to a diversity of thought, arguing that dissent is a crucial aspect of higher education. USC could invite controversial guests like Ann Coulter and Miley Yiannopoulos under this regulation. According to Obring, it is also under their authority to take action if there's worry of lawlessness. The First Amendment is there for a reason. It is to share ideas. And we owe that to our students to have a place where they can do it in safety. And I think that we need more free speech rather than less. For Annenberg Media, I'm Vienna Pasolacci. Sound baths are a form of relaxation that's gaining momentum and wellness with the growing popularity circulating around Los Angeles. In this sound portrait, musicians Brian Griffith and Ong Wilson of the Electronic Sound Bath shared their unique take on this meditative practice. Sound baths are basically a space that is created for people to be literally bathed in sound or just like be immersed in something that isn't the continual thought that happens in your mind. In various different cultures and religions, music isn't strictly entertainment. It's more for a personal spiritual development or higher transcendental purpose. A traditional sound bath is usually used with like singing bowls or gongs and chimes. For us, it's a little different because we use electronics too. The act of creation is treated very much like a like a meditation into itself, and that allows for really interesting, natural, organic evolutions of, of sound. With Electric Sound Bath, we've created this beautiful way of creating in that when we play, it's just, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it's a feeling. Like, I don't even think, I don't think. For both of us, we, try and keep the mind as still as possible, disassociated in order to allow inspiration to happen on the fly, because everything we do is improvised. It feels so natural to just like, let it, let it come in and become sound. That sound portrait was produced by Christine DeLeon. Tuition and student fees at universities continue to increase, but it appears California students escape college with less student debt than 47 other states. As Drew Jones reports, USC students in particular graduate with less debt than any other private school in California. A recent study by the Institute for College Access and Success says California students leave college with the third lowest average debt in the nation. At USC, the average debt upon graduation is roughly $28,000. Dean of Financial Aid Thomas McWhorter offers insight to USC's ability to help students financially. So it's, it's, it's very-
very important. USC believes it's very important to uh, have a very diverse class. So uh, USC has made the commitment to meet a student's full demonstrated need. So that helps to make sure that cost is not the only factor that the family has to consider and doesn't get in the way of a student's goals and aspirations. Grace Conway is a freshman from Malibu and a Cal Grant recipient. She feels USC students graduate with less debt due to USC's resources. For sure, I think maybe since USC is such a great school, um, I don't know any facts on it for sure, but maybe because the job rate is higher, the average salary afterwards, so it's easier to pay off student loans. About 37% of undergraduates receive some form of financial aid, but not so for international students. USC's website warns foreign students that aid is limited. I think if the universities want to give help, it's going to be to American students. Sophomore Alex Chavez is from Mexico. So if you didn't have the means to pay for tuition, what would you have done? I, I wouldn't have studied in, America, in the United States just because tuition is very expensive here. USC has the second most international students in the nation behind NYU. One reason why California is lower on the debt list is because most students who graduate college in the state attend public universities. Costs are lower, and the state provides more grant aid. For Annenberg Media, I'm Drew Jones. That's it from where we are today. Today's show was produced by Garrett Schwartz. The theme music was composed by Derek Renfro. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Charlotte Kim. <laughs>